So today, we're going to continue our study of the book of Genesis. We're going to read all of chapter 5. So as Brother David would say, I hope you got your good shoes on today. (laughs) So when you find Genesis chapter 5, would you please stand for reading God's word? (coughs) And uh, you all bear with me if I butcher some of these names. So Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. When Kenan lived after his father, lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground, says the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus again this morning. Before your throne of grace, Lord, asking for grace, help, Lord, in this time of need. We are in need of understanding. Father, we we need to be able to come to your word and draw from it the rich truths, the rich blessings that you uh, have placed here. Father, we are dependent upon you for that by your power, by your grace, Lord. Open up our hearts to receive. Let us 
see in these passages your grace at work and your great love for your people in action. And Lord, um, through all of this, may you be honored and glorified. May the name of Jesus Christ be exalted. And may we be motivated to tell others about you and to live in a manner that brings glory and honor and praise to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to mainly, just to give you a little bit of a heads up here, I'm going to mainly key in on um, verses 1 through 3 and then um, verses 21 through 24. Uh, Where we're at here, we talked about this a little bit um, before, but essentially what you've got in Genesis 4 and 5 are two, two families, two lines. Um, first, that of the Cainites, right? The, the line or the lineage or the family of Cain. And then, um, in chapter 5, the line or the family of Seth, the Sethites. Um, Cain, we mentioned last week, and of course we talked about it at length. Um, this family, the Cainites, represents, I think it's um, the... the the, uh, the literary structure here is designed to be representative of, of the evil in the world. I mean, you see that highlighted here, especially, uh, of course, with Cain and the murder of his brother, and then uh, even in his uh, descendants when you get down to Lamech, and, and uh, we talked about his, uh, his uh, murderous um, nature as well. But then with Seth and, and his line, um, what we have represented here is the godly those who um, follow God. Now, let me be clear. Even in, in saying that, we want to acknowledge that uh, all are sinners in need of God's grace, right? And so, even when we talk about the godly, people who are seeking God, are living for God, seeking to please God, which is what we're going to talk about today, but even when we talk about that, it is by grace. I mean, that, that is an evidence of God's grace because our nature is not different um, from people who are not following God. It's not, it's not as though, well, you know, you have these people, and let's just um, for a moment think of the ones that we think to be the worst of the worst in human history. You know, people like um, Adolf Hitler or something like that, we tend to, you know, pull them out and say, um, these are the truly evil people. Well, the, the truth is we all have that sin nature. And the only reason there is a difference is because of God's grace. It's not because there's something essentially different within us. So remember that when we look at, you know, when we think about here Cain and his family and Seth and his family, what we are seeing is God's grace highlighted in the lineage of of, uh, Seth. And we we even see evidence of God's grace in in, uh, the line of Cain. We talked about that, as a matter of fact, last week. Um, but what we're seeing, and I, one reason I want to, of course, bring this out is because always remember when you're reading the Bible, the main character is God. <laughs> so you can be reading about Cain or you can be reading about Abraham or you can be reading about um, Isaiah or whoever, you know. 
The main character is God. It's a story of God's grace. And Genesis is no different. Sometimes people imagine that the Old Testament, the Old Testament books, um, what you have there is a God of wrath. And then you get over to the New Testament and you've got a God of grace. And Well, nothing could be further from the truth. God expresses His wrath in Old and New Testaments. And God's grace is evident in Old and New Testaments. And so this, this is a story of grace. The fact that we're going to see anything good here is owing to the grace of God. Now, here's one evidence of that. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. This is the book of the generations of Adam. And by the way, that, that little phrase, this is the book of generations, that's signifying uh, the beginning of a new section. Um, there are ten of these in the book of Genesis called Toledots, where he uses that, that little phrase ten different times. Um, we've already, this is the second one, so we, we've already seen, um, seen one earlier on. Genesis 1 1, the beginning, uh, uh, in the beginning, God, God created, um, the heavens and the earth. I'm sorry, verse, uh, and, Genesis 2.4, these are the generations. This is the term I'm looking for there. Uh, it's related in the, in the Hebrew, but the, that's the term I'm looking for. These are the generations, so that's the first one. And then you got um, five one. There ten times the, the author, Moses, does that, and it creates sections throughout the book. All right, so this is the beginning of the, the second section, which actually runs through chapter 6, verse 8. We're not going to cover all that this morning. Here's what I want us to know here in these first three verses. This is the book of the generations of Adam, man. Remember, remember Adam is the word for man. And, and, and uh, sometimes it's translated um, with Adam because it's used as a, uh, a proper noun. Um, and really the only way to tell that is by context. Sometimes it's translated man, sometimes it's translated Adam because it's talking about the person, Adam. So these are the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him... In the likeness of God. That's what I want us to note. Because here we are after the fall, right? And what we're going to see here, not only here, but um, later as well, is that man, even in his sinful state, continues to bear God's image. Now, sometimes it's like a um, analogous to a, a, a light that is so dim <laughs> that it's hard to even detect, but it's there. The image of God stamped on us was severely marred in the fall when Adam and Eve sinned, but it's there. The sinfulness, and we talked about last week, just increases, right? I mean, you've got Adam and Eve rebel against God, and what happens? Cain and Abel, Cain murders Abel. And then as we went through his line, again, we talked about Lamech, and we saw that the sinfulness is still there. Man is just seemingly just increasing in wickedness. But the image of God is still there. And I think that's one reason... Moses um, makes a point of saying those things in, in uh, verses 1 through 3 here. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. 
And he blessed them and named them man or Adam when they were created. When Adam, verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So Adam creates man in his own image and now man begins to produce, procreate, creating, um, as it were, procreating children in um, his own image. And this has been God's design all along, uh, even before the fall, when he set Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them the mandate to be fruitful and multiply, right? And the idea there is to multiply the image of God so that the earth is filled with little images of God, with people bearing the image of God. Now, again, even though the image is severely marred, it's still there. And so today we have, what do they estimate now, 8 billion people in the world? 8 billion people created in the image of God. So keep that in mind. Man bears the image of God. Now, what is happening here in this genealogy, one of the things that's happening here, is that um, God's mandate is being fulfilled. And I'm talking about the mandate of, of uh, 128. You go back to Genesis 1:28 just briefly. God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve, man. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that's beginning to be fulfilled now. Adam bears children, his children bear children, and on down the line, the mandate is, is, um, is being fulfilled. Just, just this week, I saw one of my relatives um, make a statement on Facebook uh, that they are sometimes criticized for having so many children. And, you know, that's the mindset of our culture, but um, we as Christians ought to... Uh, uh, Ought, ought to encourage a, a positive attitude toward children, right? And, uh, and many children. Um, that's just a fulfillment of what God is, is commanding here. Be fruitful and multiply. It's a blessing. It's a blessing uh, to be able to have children who are born and bear the image of God. All right, so the mandate is being fulfilled here. And we work our way down through the genealogy here, and I'm going to skip down, as I said earlier, to Enoch. Enoch. Remember, this is ultimately going to be the line of, uh, of blessing through whom um, ultimately Messiah will come. Um, and so we, this is somewhat representative of the people of God or um, godly people. In verse 21, and by the way, Enoch uh, is the seventh from Adam, and that is including Adam, seven generations. And he's set in contrast here to Lamech, who is the seventh from Adam, in the Canite line. And I think that's, a, again, an intentional contrast being made here. You've got the line of Cain. You get down seven generations, seven is kind of a 
uh, a representative of perfection, a number of perfection. Uh, and I might just say that, uh, um, without going into detail here, um, though numerology gets way overblown a lot of times, and, and be extra cautious <laughs> with uh, interpretations based on numerology, um, but it is real. The Hebrews did use numbers to, uh, to signify things like the number seven is, uh, signifies perfection. Uh, so it is real, and you, and you will find evi- uh, you know, cases of it in the Scripture. Seven has already stood out uh, here in Genesis, you know, it's seven days, for example. Um, so you get seven generations from Adam, counting Adam, and on the Canaanite side, you've got Lamech, and on the Sethite side, you've got Enoch. And a stark contrast between the two, because Lamech is essentially given over to selfishness, sin, murderous ways. We talked about last week how he justified himself and his actions against the young man who, uh, who uh, wounded him. But you get on the Sethite side, you get, by the time you get to Enoch, what you find is not a murderer, but a worshiper. In fact, I love the way Moses says it. He's a man who walked with God. Verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. And by the way, the, the author here, Moses, he's, he's picking out certain individuals in the genealogy. This is not by any means um, exhaustive. Uh, every one of these that you look at, it'll say, um, he had other sons and daughters. I mean, they're, they're, they are multiplying at this point at a, um, at a large rate. Uh, they're, they're having a lot of kids, plus they're living um, apparently to be hundreds of years old. At least if you take this literally, and I do. All right. So Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch, Enoch walked with God and he was not. Now what that means there is he didn't die. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So apparently he was just translated out of here to glory. And so like, just again to kind of highlight the number seven here, um, because, it, because I, I think this is intentional on the part of the author. In Genesis 1, we have seven days, and the seventh day is unending. You know, at the end of the first six days, you've got something like there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening, there was morning the second day, and so forth. But you get to this seventh day, and that phrase is missing, as though it's an unending day. And when you move through the Sethite line, you get repeatedly, and he died, and he died, and he died. And then you get to Enoch and its unending life. He was not. 
before God took him. Now, this is what I want us to focus on. Um, Enoch was a man who walked with God. And by the way, um, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses the term pleased there. He, he pleased. He pleased God. That's a good translation. And one reason I know it's a good translation is because the writer of Hebrews uh, quotes it in Hebrews 11. Enoch pleased God. So I mention that here, and we're going to go to Hebrews in a minute, but I mention that here because I, I want you to be thinking along those lines. When we talk about walking with God, one of the ways he means that is that he pleased God, or he was pleasing to God. Enoch pleased God. Enoch walked with God. Now, here's just kind of the, the main point this morning in a, in a sentence. Because again, remember, I told you, this is a story of God's grace. In the midst of an era of increasing sinfulness among human beings, Enoch lived in intimate relationship with God. We have already seen sinfulness highlighted, and it's going to continue to be. I mean, the state of man doesn't get better. But we are also seeing the grace of God highlighted by His working in the lives of individuals, calling them out, drawing them to Himself, having intimate relationship with men such as Enoch, men and women such as uh, Enoch. So even while we have people like Cain and we have people like Lamech, at the same time we have those like Enoch who walked with God. And you remember um, when Cain was cursed, and even after God graciously promised to protect him, um, as he bore that curse, uh, we were told, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, right? That's just kind of how it leads off pretty much with his story. He, he, he went away from the presence of the Lord, settled in the land of Nod, away from the presence of the Lord. What a contrast here. Enoch walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? That's a good question because um, it's relevant for us. In other words, we ought to have the same testimony, right? You just put, put your name in the blank, walked with God, or pleased God. That's what um, we are called to. That's the life that we are called to. And In other words, what we're not talking about here is just, just a, a mere um, assent to some truths that we've heard or a mere profession, all those, those things are important. They have their place, but not merely those things. In other words, when it says Enoch walked with God, it's not, it's not merely saying, well, you know what? Enoch called himself a Christian. Enoch didn't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls who do, you know. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about intimate, Relationship. Knowing God. 
pleasing, being pleasing to God. Well, turn with me to uh, um, Hebrews chapter 11, because this is going to shed some light, I think, um, on this little story for us. Remember, all of God's Word is inspired, right? All Scripture is is God-breathed. And uh, the best way to interpret Scripture is to interpret Scripture by Scripture. And I want to read the first few verses here in in, um, Hebrews chapter 11, sometimes called the Hall of Faith or the Great Faith chapter, because there is a heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis here on faith. Now, remember, we've said many times, when we talk about faith, we're we're talking about believing. I mean, don't, don't think of those words as different. Belief, faith, or having faith, believing, it's the same thing. Believing, to have faith is to believe, right? And you already know that, that uh, if you've been here very long, you know a synonym that I like for the word faith is trust. Trust. I mean, p- people have often um, have, I should say, in, in our day such a convoluted idea about faith. So sometimes it's helpful to express it a little differently, you know, use different terminology. What do we mean by faith? Well, we're talking about trust, for example. Well, let's, let's look here. I think, I think we can get a little more um, light on it here. And it's interesting, while the, while the writer of Hebrews is describing faith and what it means to live by faith, to come to God through faith, he points to many examples, but w- one of them is Enoch. Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith, first he gives us sort of a, a description. I don't know if it's be ac- really accurate to call it a definition but of faith, but it's a description. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I think the King James says faith is the substance of things hoped for or the evidence of things not seen. Another good translation. So, so, so you think faith. Faith is the it's, it's the, it's the, the way that we know that something is. It's the substance of things not seen. Because it's not visible to you, and you can't put your hand on. In this case, of course, God and the things of God. It's not something that God is not something that we can look on with the natural eye. You can't perceive God's working necessarily with the natural eye. And when you think about promises like the promise of eternal life and salvation, what is there to grab? Hold up. Well, he says faith. It's, it's, faith is the substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So it's, it's through believing. It's through trusting God that we apprehend these things. Verse 2. For by it, that is by faith, by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning. 
In other words, you could say there's no empirical proof. There is evidence. There's evidence, but there's but there but you there's nothing you can point to and say that conclusively proves. So how do we know? By faith. By faith. By by believing. That's not just a that's not a shot in the dark, it's not a blind faith, it's not something like that. It's by faith in God. That is trusting in a trustworthy God, a God who has proven himself to be trustworthy. It's through trusting him that we know these things. So again, verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now he's already said, faith is the conviction of things not seen. So how do we know that the things that are created came out of the invisible? <laughs> and non-things, that is God created out of nothing. Well, we know by faith because we have God's Word and we trust God. We believe God. Now, he starts to cite examples of people who live this way. That is, they lived trusting. They lived trusting the Creator. They lived lives characterized by trust in God. And the first one is Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And I think it's fair to say there, in other words, what the writer of Hebrews is getting at is, Abel was accepted through faith, and God demonstrated that acceptance by by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And now, verse 5 comes Enoch. By faith, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, what does he mean by by faith? By faith, Enoch was taken up. And we already read the account in Genesis. Enoch lived and then he disappeared. Where everybody else died, you know... um, He had so many children, and he died. He had so many children, he had other children, and he died. And he died, and he died. And, of course, one of the things we're learning there is that death is pretty much universal, right? And in Genesis 5, of course, we're we're coming right on the heels of the fall. And the judgment was, you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you shall surely die. And so the death sentence is coming down, and it's coming down not only on Adam and Eve, but on all of their progeny. Even these amazing lifespans, I mean, Methuselah, 969 years, but he died. He didn't escape death. But Enoch, God just took him, just by grace, 
Does the same thing later with Elijah. Just snatches him out of here. It's awesome, isn't it? That's the way a lot of us would... If we, if we had a choice, that's what, what we would prefer, right? Send the fiery chariots for me. You know, I'd rather do that than the, than the casket and all that stuff. Just take me on out here while I'm still uh, able to get around, while i still got uh, some um, mental ability and so forth. Just take me on out here. But generally, that's not the way it works. We live and we die. It's appointed unto man once to die. But Enoch doesn't die. He's translated out. And the writer of Hebrews says, by faith. So what is he saying? Does, is he saying, like uh, you might hear some people say today, did, I mean, did he muster up something on the inside of him that caused God to move in such a way that he could avoid death? And is that something that maybe, maybe you and I could pull off too if we just had the faith of Enoch, right? We just muster up faith. And skip death. No, I don't think he's not saying that at all. When he says by faith, that's not, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying Enoch achieved something that got him out of death. He's just simply saying what he goes on to say. As a matter of fact, when he, when he um, alludes to the verse back in Genesis 5, he's just simply saying that Enoch pleased God. He believed God. So again, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So that was Enoch's life in a nutshell. He pleased God. He walked in intimate relationship with God. Well, what does it mean to please God? Look at verse 6 here. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So first of all, he says Enoch pleased God. He had, he had this testimony. He was commended in this way that he pleased God. And because of that, God took him out of here and he didn't have to go through death. So, so what does it mean that he pleased God? He never missed a church service? He always, you know, gave a certain amount of offerings and he stuck to that and he never never slipped one time on that. He never let ill words come out of his mouth or something like that. I mean, in other words, are we talking about works here? Are, are we saying that he earned God's pleasure? And because he earned God's... Because he did all of these things, he did all of these things right and good... God was just looked on him and was, and was pleased and just took him on to glory. No, I think the bottom line is that he just loved God and he just trusted God. And the term walked 
Enoch walked with God is, is just a way of characterizing all of life. The New Testament writers do the same thing. You know, Paul says in Ephesians, walk worthy of the calling to which you are called. And what, what he's saying there is live your life in a manner that's consistent with the gospel, that's consistent with the good news of Jesus Christ. So when he says walk, he's, he's talking about manner of life. And Enoch's manner of life expressed his trust in God. It was a life of faith. And the writer of Hebrews breaks it down two ways here. I mean, this is pretty basic and pretty simple. Whoever comes to God, that is, if you're going to, you know, just kind of imagine best you can, God seated on His throne, ruling. And we saw in Psalm 47, He's the King of the whole earth, right? So just kind of imagine for a moment a picture, something like we have in the book of Revelation. The one who sits on the throne. And you want to approach Him. You want to come to Him. Well, the writer of Hebrews says, whoever comes to God must believe that He exists. First of all, there's number one requirement. Pretty basic, isn't it? <laughs> why, would you, why would you come if you didn't believe that He exists? And of course, many, many don't. Or at least they don't believe that the God of the Bible exists. They don't accept His own testimony about Himself. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, that He is, and that He rewards those who seek Him. And the Bible is full of those kinds of promises. I was looking again uh, just this morning at Matthew 6.33. Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And after, after telling the disciples, you know, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. That is, God will provide your... Your, your needs. Don't seek the glory of man. You know, Jesus says the, the Pharisees, they, they seek the glory of man. They have their reward. In other words, they got their reward here. They're seeking the glory of man. They've got it. They got their reward. What we ought to be seeking is reward from God. What we ought to be seeking is God, His kingdom, His righteousness. And so if you're going to come to God, you must believe, first of all, that He is and secondly, that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. I mean, that's, that's a fascinating verse. He's already said, you, you can't please God without faith. You, you have to have faith to please God. Now, here's part of faith. You, you have to believe that He exists. And then secondly, you've got to believe that He's a rewarder of those who 
seek Him. In other words, if I'm coming, if I'm coming and I'm looking to God for help, i got to believe that He can really help, that He really is my help, and that He will help. You come in faith. And that's what Enoch did. But again, let's, let's be clear here, because I, I don't, I don't, what I don't want us doing here is depersonalizing that word faith. And that, that error is so common. So that people try to work God like a machine. Drop a quarter in, I got my faith. Now God's got to do something. You know, something's got to come out of the bottom. I got to drop a quarter, drop a few quarters in, I get a Coke or whatever it is. And that's the way we try to treat God. I did my part. God, now you do your part. I quit such and such bad habit. Now, God, you got to do your part. I started going to church. God, now you do your part. That would be a tragedy to live a whole life thinking that way. And it won't get a response from God. Because there's no faith in it. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So what is faith? And I think it's... I want to say simply this. It's really not that simple, but, I, but I, I'm, I'm just going to boil it down here, okay? I think this is the gist of it. It's, not, it's certainly not less than this, although you could say a whole lot more. But it is a real, personal, trusting, loving relationship with Him. To walk with God like Enoch did. Or to be pleasing to God like Enoch was. Entails loving Him. It entails obeying Him. I mean, why would you... If, if you trust somebody, why would you not do what they say? Obedience is a mark of trust. It's a mark of faith. In fact, in this, this same author in chapters 3 and 4 he uses obedience and belief interchangeably. Go back and check me out on that when you have time. He's talking about why the children of Israel did not enter the promised land, the ones who died in the wilderness. Because of their unbelief, he says, and then he also says because of their disobedience. I mean, he uses the two terms interchangeably. And he's not, I don't, I don't think, bottom line, he's not talking about works like you know, they, they didn't do X, Y, Z, and therefore they didn't make it in. Or, you know, you look at somebody like Joshua and Caleb, they, they did do X, Y, Z, and therefore they made it in. No, that's not what he's saying. 
What he's saying is they didn't trust God. They didn't believe God. They didn't have faith and they didn't obey. The reason they didn't obey is because they didn't trust. The obedience is just evidence of the trust. When Joshua and Caleb came back from viewing the land, they were confident that they could take it because God told them they could and they trusted Him. That's the kind of relationship that is built into that word walked or pleased. Enoch walked with God. Enoch had this testimony. He pleased God. In other words, he trusted God. He took God at His word. And he enjoyed fellowship with God. He walked with Him. Wasn't just spouting out a confession or signing a confession or something like that, but saying, God, I, I need you. I need you every day. I need you every hour, every day. I need your wisdom. I need your direction. I need to know that you're present with me. He could not have tolerated the life that Cain lived away from the presence of the Lord. He walked with God. Friends, that's what you and I are called to do. These uh, stories like this um, in the Old Testament are not just there for our enjoyment, although they're enjoyable to read. I enjoy reading them. I like the history. Uh, I believe it is history. Um but they're not just there for our reading pleasure. They're not just there for us to pull some kind of uh, uh, little ideal out of, moral. You know, the moral of the story is this or that. They are there to exhort us to follow those good examples and to not follow the bad ones. What I'm saying is this. It's a call for us to walk with God. Because He's real. And if you're going to come to Him, you're going to walk with Him. You've got to believe He is, right? And you've got to believe that He really rewards those who seek Him. Now, one final thing, and I'm done here. I mentioned earlier that one thing I want us to note when we're talking about these two lines, the Canite line and the Sethite line, the Canite line represents the ungodly. The Sethite line represents the godly. But at the same time, remember, and I think all of that's true, but at the same time, remember that we're all sinners, right? So even though we see godliness highlighted in the Sethite line, they're still sinners who needed God's grace. And everybody is. As a matter of fact, when you get down, we'll see, Lord willing, next week, when you get down to Noah... And God wipes out the whole world population and only leaves that descendant of Seth, this godly family. The sin remains, doesn't it? It's not gone. I mean, because it's still being passed from generation to generation. So here's, here's just as we close, here's what I want us to think about here. Enoch pleased God. There's only one person who ever, ever 
even counting Enoch, there's only one person who ever did that perfectly. And that's Jesus. In John 8, Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to the Father. And that was not an exaggeration. Because He never, ever violated the Father's will. He never one time sinned. He walked with the Father. In fact, He said, The Father and I are one. And I only do what the Father, what I see the Father do. And my meat, my sustenance, my food, He says, is to do the Father's will. I always do what is pleasing to the Father. I'm saying that for this reason. The only one who's truly righteous by His own merit is Jesus. And the way for you and I to walk with God, to be pleasing in God's sight, is to come to Him through faith in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, our sins, and for eternal life. That's the life of faith. A a real, personal, intimate, working every day, day in, day out, relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how to walk with God. Would you stand, please? Let's pray and we'll, we'll be dismissed. And Lord willing, see you back here tonight. Father, um, we're thankful for Your Word. Lord, we're thankful that indeed You are trustworthy. When there's a problem, the problem is always on our end. So teach us, Lord. As the psalmist says, show us your ways. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth. Lord, teach us to walk with you as Enoch did. Trusting in you. I do pray this morning, Lord, if there's anyone in this room today who does not know you in truth, that the truth we have just talked about will be made real to them now by your power and that they will realize the only way to come to you is through faith in Jesus Christ. May it be so, Lord, for your glory. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.